Welcome to Behind the Confidence Smile. I am your host, Bianca Cotton, and I am here with special guest, Norma S. Williams. Thanks for being here with Thank me today. You. So excited. Me too, especially for this topic, you all. We are about to dig into her journey to entrepreneurship. It's a good one. It is. It's very <laughs> timely with where we are in the world right now. It is. So, Norma, tell us what seed was planted and when about entrepreneurship? I like to say that for me, it was sort of a natural progression in my life. Let me start by saying I am extremely extroverted and I love all people. I think that's significant moving into the type of business structure that I have. And then of course, you know, uh, necessity is the motherhood. What is that? What is the famous saying? <laughs> but out of necessity, I had to start something when my daughter was really, really young. And, uh, she just changed my life, and I really needed to do something. I like to tell people that I had a job that it paid the bills, but it didn't feed my soul. Mm -hmm. And so I was a single mom going through a really rough time, and I was miserable. And I hated that for her. I hated the example that I was setting for her. But I was hungry for something deeper than what I was providing her. And we had a roof over our head, and we did have a job that you know paid the bills so that I could feed her. But... I was a miserable human being, and I knew I needed to do something different. And then I stumbled upon Martha Stewart. Oh. I like to say I met Martha in the alley. <laughs> Please, do share. <laughs> so we lived in a small apartment in Evanston, and I was had come down the stairs and went through the alley to go to my car when I found a box of beautiful perfectly unused Martha Stewart magazines. Now, this is Martha Stewart pre-jail <laughs> when she had her Omni company. And so she had a magazine that came out six times a year, but it coordinated with a weekly show that she had on television that highlighted the things in the magazine. So essentially, the TV show showed videos of the things that she was highlighting in the magazine. So if she was baking something in the magazine and on the, on the show, she would actually show you how to put the things together. And I had never seen the magazine before. I'd heard of the show, but I'd not seen the magazine. And it literally stopped me in my tracks. It was as if the books were calling to me. I remember promptly picking up the box, turning around and taking them back into the house and pouring over them. And as I started to pour over them, I was struck by her sense of, I want to be careful not to say perfectionism. Mm -hmm. I was struck by her sense of excellence mm -hmm. and everything she did. And, you know, here's the thing about being a single mom. You can't afford much of anything, but you got to buy groceries anyway. So I like to say I was uh, very familiar with two food groups at the time, <laughs> rice and beans. Be <laughs> right? This is your typical <laughs> Puerto Rican cuisine. But Martha, in one of the magazines that I opened, said that you should combine leeks and shallots with scallops. Now, I'm going to tell you, I had never heard of either leeks or shallots. I didn't even know what department in the grocery store to buy it from. So when I learned all of that, I took it home, I bought white wine for the first time, and I made this amazing meal, and my daughter and I ate like queens. Mm. And something in that singular meal sparked a seed. I didn't even know 
I had. And so after I was perusing through several of these magazines and making different cuisines we had never heard before, I turned my attention to baking and I really began to shine. And then I found some recipes between hers and others that I had been able to get my hands on. And I was so good at recreating these desserts that I actually started a very small baking business that I called the Grand Finale. And so I started to sell gourmet cheesecakes right out of my little apartment for $45 on the North Shore. That ha Two things happened as a result of that. One was that all of a sudden, Brittany and I had a little play money, <laughs> which we had never had before. But the other thing that happened is that I began to see that I was more than my current situation. Mm. And that was a powerful, powerful moment. A few months go by. I'm now subscribing to her magazine, so I'm getting fresh magazines to arrive to the house. And it coincided with an episode that she had on refurbishing furniture. I promptly went to the Salvation Army where I bought a four-piece bedroom set. <laughs> and Martha said that we could strip it and redesign it. <laughs> right. And that's what I did. Now, Martha didn't say do it in your little <laughs> tiny <laughs> living room <laughs> because the fumes are toxic, but I didn't know. So I remember just putting down some sheets and starting with the furniture and the dresser and the chest and stripping that away. And and then I remember staining the body of it and something in my head saying, hey, you know, I don't want to stain the top. I think I want to paint it and put a design on it. And at that point, something in me clicked so deeply, I knew I would never be the same. I recognized I can cook. I can follow these recipes. I can cook. Oh, I can really bake. I'm really good at that. Oh, I can refurbish furniture. I'm good with my hands. Mm. And up until that point, I never had put those two things together. I never put the thought process behind the fact that I could recreate things with my hands. And that is really how the essence of the business began. Wow. Now, I didn't begin in that moment, but the seed was definitely sown. Right. And over time, it sounds as if you discovered your gifts. Like your natural gifting. Absolutely. Which is interesting because I could not have articulated that up until this time. And by this time, I'm, I'm practically 30 years old and I wasn't able to articulate that. So then fast forward a little bit. I get married. I have a couple of more children. It's a very abusive relationship. It's a very, very toxic situation for the children and myself. And I'm desperate to get out. I'm turning 36 years old. And... I have some choices to make about what I'm going to do with my life. Now I have three children. I'm faced with what I'm going to do about my career. How am I going to face these children every day, knowing that they need for me to provide for them? And so at that moment, I was at a crossroad. I was either going to go back to corporate America, where I was absolutely miserable, or I was going to say, hey, you're handy. There's a skill set for that in the entire world and now is the best time to do it. And if you do this, if you if you start this business on your own, you'll be able to control your destiny. And more importantly, you'll be able to control your schedule when and when you cannot see your children. Mm. And that was, it was a really beautiful thing. The marriage was so toxic. I was very, very broke inside the marriage. I had $75 literally to my name. 
but I thought I need to advertise. I didn't know anything about advertising, but I knew that I just, people needed to know that the business existed. What could I do? Right. What, what did I have? What was my best option at that what was point? was in your hands. Exactly. It reminds me of that <laughs> biblical scripture. <laughs> and so I said, well, I could pass flyers. And so I went to the office supply store and purchased a ream of paper and a supply of ink, black ink, because it was all I could afford. I purchased pink paper specifically. And I sat down at the computer and I thought, I need to call this company something. What am I going to do, first of all? Well, by that time, I had been painting and hanging things. And I thought, you know, I, I could be a really good interior designer. I'm not sure that anybody's going to hire me for that right now, but I, I know how to paint and I'll start there. And so I was at such a low place in my life. And I remember specifically saying, if I have any opportunity at all, I will hire other single women who are going through what I'm going through who feel really ugly about themselves. And at that very moment, I knew I would call the business the Pretty Painters. Mm. And so I say the Pretty Painters. I print these super ugly generic flyers because I didn't know any better. My teenager at the time and I trifold these. We put the babies now that are one and three in a double stroller, and we go into the Beverly area, and we pass those flyers out door to door until I get my first business, until I get my first contract. And that was 17 years ago, almost 18 years ago. And I think about that, mm -hmm. how I literally just took the thing that I had, nothing more, nothing less, but I didn't allow it to hinder me from letting people know that this business existed. And then from then, pretty much, it's been word of mouth. Wow. So you said 17 or 18 years ago, mm -hmm. creating flyers, mm -hmm. not knowing how to advertise, mm -hmm. taking your children in the stroller and the teenager, going door to door. What was going through your brain at, <laughs> at that time in those moments? I think one of the things that you ask yourself, I believe that this is very normal, is does this matter? Is mm. this going to matter? Is this going to help? It took the very first job for me to know that it mattered. Mm -hmm. I learned very quickly that women, I, I really believe 18 years later that women are still, their voices are still not heard enough in the, in the home industry. Mm. And I say that to say most contractors are still male. And at that moment, so long ago, I remember my very first client was a woman. She was a single woman who owned her own home and she knew so little. Well, I started my home renovation journey at about 30 and now I'm 36. So I'm six years in, you know, by this time I've done a lot of painting, I'm hanging things and my girlfriends have dubbed me their boyfriend to be cute. <laughs> and so I remember, I, I remember feeling like this lady didn't really need a painter. What she needed was a home advocate. And when I started to look at my business that way, that's really when it changed. And so I looked at my business, I still do, as an adv advocacy in both ways. I help women with their homes learn what to do, what not to do, where to spend your money. I think most women simply don't know what they should know about their homes. And likewise, as I'm hiring single moms and at-risk women for the business, I'm able to be an advocate for them, teaching them a trade that they'll need for the rest of their lives. Mm. 
powerful. Hmm. But before having that amount of clarity, right, 18 years later, after getting your first job, when did it click in you like, okay, I can do this. I can keep moving forward because business does evolve over time. It does. Right? It does. I'm going to tell you. I don't know how people can, can 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 start companies and be an entrepreneur and not follow Jesus. For me, this business has always been directly tied to my faith. I'm going to mm-hmm. tell you this little prayer story. <laughs> I remember praying, and that's really how I started this business. I, I, I felt like I had no other option. I was in prayer. I really felt like this is what I was supposed to be doing. And I remember saying out loud, start a business? What do I know about having my own business? I don't know. Can I do this? And then I said out loud, all right, Lord, I'm going to do this. But if I go down, I'm taking your good name with me. (laughs) And that was the deal I made. So I think even as I was passing out those flyers, I never felt like I was doing it on my own. Mm -hmm. I always felt like I had the wherewithal to know that I was walking in the purpose in the moment that I needed to. That does not mean that it was an easy journey. I think that one of the things that most people skip over when they're telling their entrepreneurial journey is how dark get things get. Mm-hmm. But one of the one of the things that I have learned in all of these years is that I don't make decisions in high seasons and I don't make decisions in low seasons. Mm-hmm. Because when your bank account is overflowing and you've never had that much money, you're you're not thinking straight. Likewise, when you've got $3 literally in your account, you are not thinking right. And so you have to learn how to be a base and be a bound. And so I had to learn how to take some of the money from the high season and hold on to it because I knew a low season was coming and so on and so forth. I think for the first six, seven, eight years of my life, I, I barely worked January, February, and March. Hardly at all. For whatever reason, that was just not the season that my phone rang. As soon as March came, though, in April, I was super busy. So what I made in the fall season, which was actually my busiest season, I needed to hold on to to get through in the winter season. But my children were small. If I was going to give an entrepreneur the biggest sense of a piece of advice I could possibly give, this is it. So listen up. This (laughs) is it. If you don't have an understanding about why you're doing what you're doing, you'll find you'll try to find your purpose and everything else. It was very important for me to keep my expenses low so that in a low season and a season where I wasn't making enough money, I didn't have to spend that season worrying, but I did get to spend that season with my children. So what I made working so much in September, October, November, and December, just holding on to a little bit of that and keeping my expenses very low meant that in January, February, and March, I got to spend three months, quality months with my children. If as an entrepreneur, you don't understand your purpose, you will chase the finances. And if you chase the finances, you will never find true happiness. Wow. So peeling this back a little bit, right? Sure. How did you learn that? Was it a coach, a mentor? <laughs> like say, hey, like oh. when, you, when it's a high season, put a percentage away to prepare for the low season of your business. Like how did you come to 
You only need to go through a low season with $3 in your bank account one time to learn that lesson. Mm. At the end of the day, experience will teach you things that you can never find in a book. And that's exactly what happened. And so when you get past that first season and you're frightened and you're scared and you think, I'm never going to make this. And for me, going back to my faith, God, where are you? What did you do? These were just less things that I began to see, like pay attention to. When are you making your money? Why do you have this much money? What happened during this season? And I began to realize that in the construction season between March and December, it's busy but not January, February, and March. And so you just learn. Again, you don't need but one or two seasons to learn that lesson. Mm. I have always lived frugally. Now, I'm a fashion girl. <laughs> I like to be pretty and all of that stuff. I believe in makeup and dressing nice, but not at the expense of my peace. Nothing was worth that. I've always lived in a small house or before I had a small apartment. Whatever vehicle I've driven for work is the vehicle that I have driven to the grocery store. And I have just learned to say that I never wanted to be what I like to call entrepreneur poor. I didn't want to be mortgage poor. I don't want to be car note poor. Mm -hmm. I want to have enough money in my bank account to supply my simple but very, very peaceful life. When you're an entrepreneur, you have enough things on the outside pulling you, but you get to make a decision about what is most significant and important in your life. And for me, it's never going to be about money, but it is always going to be about relationship. Because if we dial back all the way to the beginning of this conversation, I said to you, I'm an extreme extrovert. Yeah. So it is extremely important to me that my relationships are cultivated and that the people who work with me and for me know that they are loved and respected. Mm. That can't happen if I pay them peanuts so that I can live in a bigger house. Oh, wow. So let's talk about that. You building your team because mm -hmm. it was just you in the yes. beginning. Uh, before you were able to have a team, how long were you a solopreneur? Too long. <laughs> so remember when the business started, I had a teenager. So right. she worked on weekends and she worked on every time the school was out and she for sure worked all summer. So okay. she was the first employee of mm. the business. Okay. And then uh, over time, probably five, six years, it was a long time that I was all by myself, meaning I'm doing all the estimates, all the, you know, getting the material, all the carrying the heavy ladders, doing all the actual physical labor myself, plus still taking care of two young babies and a teenager. So about five years and then six, somewhere around there. And then I remember having a job and needing some extra help, more than one person. And I reached into my single mom pool. And one of the things that I learned early on is not to force a person who wants to be able to come and be a part of the team to have to stick to a certain amount of hours. So I... I was able to, I think as a result of being a single mom and, and having to have a flexible schedule myself, I was able to offer flexibility to other single women. So if, for example, this Carolyn, who was one of my first employees, if she, when she came on, she'd say, hey, I can only do Tuesday and Wednesday and Friday morning. That's fine. I can find somebody else to fit around your hours. That was so 
good for me. That was a wonderful experience for me to have early on because it showed me not to box people in into the abilities that they were both sort of bringing in and, and, and not to put more pressure on the limitations that they already had based on their life. Wow. That was so wonderful, being able to take that into the business and then cultivating the, uh, a career for other women around that. So if if you were in school, if you had, you know, children at home, you know, if you if you had a spouse and 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 you guys needed to you know, uh, switch schedules and whatever, that was fine with me. I learned how to say yes to people to make their lives a little simpler and I realized that when I was flexible, it it offered so much power into my own life. Mm. And then that became a it almost became a business concept for many many years. Say more, like, how did, how did you grow as a leader, right? Oh. Wow. <laughs> you're managing yourself. You're managing home, taking yes. care of your children, still cooking, cleaning. I'm sure doing all of the oh, things. I'm going to tell you a hard story. <laughs> Again, I tend to learn, I think like most human beings, I tend to learn the hard way. At the end of the day, I think that I was fighting a spirit of fear all along. You're still mm. constantly in this fight or flight mode when you're an early entrepreneur and you don't know what you don't know. And so you don't know what mistakes you're making. And so as the business began to grow and I'm hiring in more people, the more concerned I was about finances or quality or what was going on in my kid's life, the more aggressive I became at work. Now, I have a tendency to be a bit of a perfectionist, which is probably why I was attracted to the whole Martha Stewart thing in the beginning. Um, I tried to strive for excellence, but when I was struggling, I would move past excellence into perfectionism. And then I began to re require that from everyone who was around me. So now we're, let's say we're 12 years or 10 years into the business, somewhere around there, I can't remember exactly. And I hired a young lady who I adored. She was wonderful. She was reliable and smart. She had been working for me for years. And I began to put her in charge of one site so that I could be responsible for another. And she's working on this site. I've given her like two or three employees. I know she's managing what's going on. I know she's reliable, but I'm having issues. I'm having issues with, you know, finances or am I going to complete this job? And, I, and I've let myself get excited. And I began to yell. I began to yell mm. at her. Or, and if I wasn't yelling, it was a conniving, um, it, it was, it was a disrespect at the end of the day. I don't care what you call it. I was being disrespectful. And on one of those days that I was being disrespectful, she quit. Mm. And so I didn't just lose a valuable employee, but I also lost a valuable employee who was managing others a valuable employee who was allowing me to have not one site now, but two job sites. Right. And at the end of the day, I lost the respect of somebody that I really cared about. That was a turning point for me to really begin to recognize how important it was for me as a leader to love people consistently and well. Mm. She did come back to the business months later I did absolutely apologize. We had a cry fest, but it changed me forever. And it was a great experience. Yep. And mm -hmm. I, I, I really hope that people remember that. 
People are coming to work every day and they need a positive, healthy environment in order that for them to show up in their best selves for you and your business. And as a leader, you're responsible for creating that environment. First of all, thank you for opening up and sharing that and being honest to say, I made a mistake mm-hmm. and I owned it. Mm-hmm. This person quit as a result mm-hmm. of my behavior and it changed my life forever and how I treat people, manage my stressors, um, and just love on people more and not just see them as they're doing this for me, but so many other people are connected to this one person. Yes. And they're doing so many other mm-hmm. things. Norma, as we wrap up our conversation, what would you say to your 22-year-old self <laughs> that had one child at the time about where you would be right now, almost two decades later? I I want to make that question a little broader. I'm going to tell you what I would say to my 22-year-old self and what I would say to all 22-year-olds mm-hmm. today. And that's that you need to find your purpose in life. I don't want to make that a mysterious thing. Let me let me just preface that by saying it's important for us to know that we're all here for a reason. And that we don't have to, but we get to spend our life discovering the why. Mm. And when you have some answers, it makes all of your forward thinking hopeful and joyful. So when I look back at my life, and if I had known at 22 that I would make this much of an impact on other people's lives, I would have not waited so long in my life to determine that I was going to live a joyful life despite what my circumstances were. Mm. I wish my 22-year-old self, I wish most 22-year-olds know that joy is an option. It's an option today, despite what their circumstances look like. And also, the last thing I would say is, when you're creating your joy, sit down, spend some quiet time, figure out what's joyful for you, and then head out on that road. It's a good one. Beautiful. Oh, that's so beautiful to sit in that moment and joy and creating not, you not only created a life and opportunity for yourself, but so many that continue to have ripple effects on others. So thank you for saying Mm -hmm. yes to your journey of entrepreneurship when you had no clue what that really (laughs) meant. (laughs) And now you can share with others from your experiences how to go about building a business and one that is sustainable and evolves over time and loves people. That's right. I'm so grateful. Uh, Thank Uh, you so much for having me. It was wonderful being here. Oh, yes. Thank you, Norma. So if you all didn't take anything away from this conversation, walk away with identifying your purpose if you don't already know it. Create joy in your life and go and make an impact through the vehicle of entrepreneurship if you feel called to that. Thank you all.